Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it in the overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. With today's technology, hunters in the field have more tools than ever to maximize their outdoor experiences. One of those tools is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based HuntWise app. The HuntWise Pro app is loaded with features including property lines, landowner data, windcast, huntcast, over 250 map layers including 3D maps, a localized rut indicator, as well as discounts of 20% off various name brand products. Step up to the Elite membership and you will get all of that plus HuntCast 2.0 with customizable alerts, Whitetail 365 which gives you season dates and local rut times as well as the best time to plant your food plots, a 15 day hunt forecast and 40-50% to 50% discount on name brand products. Enter code OVERDRIVE for 20% off your membership to HuntWise. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Tonight, we have myself, Kevin Rod, along with my co-host, Josh Mapes. Special guest tonight is Mr. James O'Neill. How you doing tonight, James? I'm doing good. How are you guys going? How's it going for you guys? Doing good. It's wet here today. Um, we got a little bit of snow, and they were forecasting like a lot of freezing rain. But in my area, we didn't really get that. We've had a, it's, I'll tell you what, man, this year here where we are, it's just been, it's a different, we had a once in a hundred year storm, I'd say back in end of December, and we've just been having snow ever since. So it's white. Really? How much snow you got on the ground there right now? Oh, right. Right now it's melting pretty good, but we still have in a lot of places. We, we got over 40 inches there at the end of December. Holy so cow. we've, there's places where we still have oh gosh man three four foot still and certain but the hilltops are starting to get cleaned off and melt away but we still have probably an average half a foot everywhere and you're in south dakota right yep yep exactly i mean you guys probably get some really wicked winds out there too don't you all the time today was actually good (laughs) we we were late i was late on you guys a little bit because we went out to make a set and the wind died down today so we've hit up a set real quick but usually yeah man it this year with that snow it was it was a bad deal it filled places that have never been full of snow before oh wow that's gonna make for an interesting spring everything's gonna be nice and wet perfect that's good though we we were in a drought so i'm not gonna complain right so are you joining us today with coyote blood on your hands yeah not today man we didn't get any we were 
I'll tell you what, another thing this year, I would say probably I've said it before on my podcast, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. And this year we've had just to be honest, terrible luck. Like we're in coyotes, but like last night, my cousin and I went Keith. And then tonight, all three of us, my brother and my cousin went last night, we made a set and I'm like, there's, there's no way there's any coyotes up this straw. We're just a little bit too far away from the cattle. We sit down, start calling and there was two coyotes right in front of us that watched us walk in. And then tonight we make a set. We have two coyotes pop up 300 yards from us when we're getting in. And it's just been, it just happens like that. We we've killed a lot, but just for video, it, it, we've had some bad luck regarding being seen and getting a little bit too close to them initially. Right. Yeah. How do you guys deal with that, with that much snow? I mean, when you got 40 inches of snow, are you changing up your set locations or are you trying to use areas that might not have as much? Yeah, you have to, man. That's the, the major, the major impact is us just being able to get to you where we usually make our sets because you can't, you can't access them. And then a lot of times also too, what you see is, um, I mean, those coyotes aren't stupid. They'll, we've seen a lot of coyotes that will sit a half a mile away and they, they won't commit just because they don't want to exert the energy to go through that deepest snow where on a, on a dry year with snow, that's only six inches, half a foot deep, they had to come blazing in. So there's, there's a lot of different things like that, that we kind of have to work around. And then also a lot of times with that, with those colder conditions and snow, they get, they gravitate more towards livestock and you know a little bit easier access to food so we have to just do it a little bit different right yeah and i know around here at least for me for about the last two weeks you can't walk anywhere without sounding like you're walking on sheets of glass yep that's a whole nother that's a whole nother problem you got to deal with too like we're we have we have a bunch of kill boxes we call them and they you know it's 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 basically a lost cause when you go out at night and the wind is dead and you can hear your, you know, they, for how far you can hear them, hear yourself walking in the snow, imagine how far they can hear you. It's just, it's not worth it too loud. So crunchy just doesn't happen. And I mean, there's, I, I tell guys a lot, a lot of that we have, we have a bunch of guys that get butt hurt at us hunting over bait piles a lot of times. And they're like, Oh, that's easy. You know, if I could have, if I could do that, you know, we'd kill as many as you do. And it, it's not easy. I would, I, I honestly think that calling coyotes is, is easier than hunting over a bait pile, especially when you got to sneak into the bait pile, how we do it. So it's, it's different tactics, you know, just different, different ways to go about it. Right. So this podcast today is going to be part of a series that we've been doing, trying to get some of the guys on, I, before I called it some of the OGs from when, I first started getting involved in predator hunting, which was probably around, um, I was probably around 2001 or so is when I first got into it. And you guys, your videos were some of the ones that I used to really enjoy watching. I mean, the, the video quality itself was just really good. You guys must have some killer cameras. I mean, the editing was always good. The content was good. So, I mean, I've been following you guys for a long time. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, being able to hear about the story of you guys, um, looking at your YouTube channel today, it looks like some of your first videos on YouTube were back. What, like, I mean, quite a while ago, like what, um, nine, 10 years ago. 
Yeah. Some of them are 11 and 12. I was looking okay. at that a while. First of all, thanks, man. I really appreciate hearing that from guys like you that have been watching us that long, that we're, we're by all means, nothing special. You know, we just have found a niche and liked recording and tried to do it a different way and provide some entertainment as well as some information. So I, I appreciate that a lot. That means a lot. It's humbling to hear that from guys like you that enjoy it. Um, so when you, did you grow up in South Dakota? Yeah. B- born in, I, I was born 30 miles from where I am right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, did you grow up in a hunting family? Oh yeah. From for very, that's all I remember. It's how it's always been. Yep. Now was your family into predator hunting as well, or was it mainly just big game and you know, stuff like that? No, everything. Okay. Yeah, everything. Yep. I remember a lot of times. Uh, I remember getting my dad buying my mom right when those VHS camcorders came out, mm-hmm. those big old shoulder mounted basically <laughs> right. things, you know, I think I was a sophomore, junior in high school, maybe, and maybe even earlier, maybe even sooner than that. But we did a little, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to make it sound like I did filming with it, but I remember them filming like geese hunts, goose hunts, sorry. And, and even a couple coyote kills, uh, not regarding really calling them in, I think more just to see if you could film shooting them off okay. of even a bait pile and stuff. So it's the filming has been kind of introduced to that a long time ago, not necessarily have been doing it since then, but it's not really new, but the hunting thing is definitely not new. That's everything. My, I remember uh, dad, dad used to do it to earn, make an income, you know, oh, like okay. I kind of have a side business now beside the ranch mm-hmm. just to have a little bit of extra spending money. That's what they did with the fur, you know, okay. getting 80, 150 bucks of fur. And I mean, a lot of guys made a lot more than what a teacher made in a year, just, oh, yeah. just with fur. So yep. ever since, ever since I can remember, yep. Were they trapping too? Not really. They did a lot of, he did, dad did have snares and a lot of foothold traps, but not really like a lot of times, to be honest, in our state, it's legal to snowmobile. And there was, it was weird. The, the, just the climate changed a little bit. I don't mean like got warmer. I just mean it quit snowing. Mm -hmm. This, we, we used to get a lot of snow. I remember when I was a kid and we would have, uh, we would have, uh, my, my dad would snowmobile and, and they'd kill us 50, 60 around going around the place. And they did do some trapping, but not like a lot of guys did. And they also did a lot of calling. And when you, I mean, if you think about it, when you put a value on an animal like that, you, you can, I mean, you've got your machine paid for, right. you probably buy a new pickup. So they're going out there and they're killing them uh, any which way they could. Now, I wasn't really a part of that. I was a little bit at the beginning, but I got more into the on foot calling just because it's, I don't, I'm not going to be like, it's more sportsman's like it is definitely it is, but I just enjoy that environment better. So that was actually, you know, we don't hear about too many people that grew up when their parents were involved in predator hunting. You know, a lot of people, it seems like come into it later on their own for a different reason or whatever so i think you're one of the few that we've talked to that you know your parents grew up doing that so that's pretty interesting to hear yeah uh, and it, the, and another thing too that a guy could note on that is uh and some guys do get upset when a guy says it but it's it's just the truth like i'm actually going to be doing a podcast with have you ever heard of wyman minzer he's yeah. l- l- look that dude up he's uh 
he got appointed by President Bush to be um, Texas, the, the official photographer for Texas. And he, that's what he did. He, he grew up predator hunting. His dad taught him how to do it. And he killed a lot of coyotes and he actually used them for their fur. Like I remember my grandpa and my dad doing and my godfather and my uncle, same thing. And it, it's really hard to uh, explain to guys the value that you put on an animal if you've never valued them like that. Right. And to me, it's been not only the value that their fur provides, because I think, man, they're like a, they should be one of our most abundant and most efficient renewable resources for yeah. honestly. And so I've looked at it from that standpoint where I'm not going to try to get all, you know, environmental or anything like that, but I've kind of rolled it over. And actually now that we do a lot of filming in production work like that, uh, it adds a whole nother sense of value to them. You know, it just, it, it makes them more valuable to me. I'm real particular about kind of how we do stuff and it's, it's, and a lot of guys just go out and have fun. And there's obviously I don't, that's awesome. Have fun, go do it, get in the, get in the, the predator hunting game, however you can and have fun doing it. That's the most important part. But I, I do tend to look at it a little bit different and put a value on them a little bit differently than most. And that's hard to do right now with fur prices being as yeah. bad as they are. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, we were just talking about that just the other day. I had someone asked me about fur. Um, they wanted to know, hey, I want to go out and get some raccoons. You know, what do you think of that? I'm like, my fur buyer isn't buying anything except for beaver and muskrat. Yep. They aren't touching fox. They aren't touching coon. They aren't touching coyotes. And, you know, I think, you know, we can get into that a little bit later, but I think that shows in some of those animals' populations because the trappers have quit a lot of pursuing that because the cost of fuels went up, the price of furs has dropped off or is nothing. And, you know, I mean, that's a risk for your game birds, your, you know, small hobby farmers that have animals too. I mean, I think it's all going to start showing to be more of an issue at some point here because fewer people in general are trapping and such like that. Now in Michigan, predator hunting has skyrocketed in popularity. So I think that will balance out for the coyotes, but for your other animals, skunks, possum, raccoons, there just aren't as many people pursuing them anymore. And I think that's going to become an issue sooner rather than later. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. No, you're, you, that's the truth. Um, so how, when did you start O'Neill ops? Uh, I started that right. As soon as I got out of college, I went and I was real fortunate to play at a high level, you know, regarding sports and always throughout all of college, like I did some kind of stupid stuff regarding putting funds towards things other than books or school, <laughs> like guns and pistols right. and, you know, stuff like that, 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 that most other guys wouldn't do, but I've always never lost the sight of hunting and shooting. And I've just always enjoyed firearms a little bit more than most, I would say. And as soon as I got done with college, I, you know, it kind of, you don't just really fall into it, but I've decided to get my FFL, which is your firearms license. Mm -hmm. And then once I got that, uh, had the ATF agent out and I mean, it, to me, it was kind of a little bit of a nerve wracking experience. Cause you just don't know what to expect. And I'm out here in BFE <laughs> where no middle of nowhere, 30, 40 miles from any town and had to have everything kind of, I didn't have you know, I wasn't subject to zoning regulations or anything like that, but he had to look, make sure I had an extra safe and I had this and this and 
passed fine, got everything taken care of. And then once you have that, you, you're, you're pretty much given your SOT, which if you, if you guys don't know what your SOT is, it's a special occupation tax that you pay $500 every year that allows you to do class three sales. Like primarily what, what I was looking at was suppressors. A lot of guys get into the SBRs and full autos. I don't, I have a couple SBRs, but my primary concern with my SOT was getting into the suppressor game. So that's really kind of how, as soon as I got out of college, I, I mean, that's, I, I knew I was going to be buying guns. And honestly, the reason I did that was to save myself money. You know, I was, if I was a dealer, I knew I was going to save myself a couple hundred dollars <laughs> right. a year, a couple but then the ATF really frowns on that because right. they don't, you know, that's just what they, that's what I was told at the time, they want but to I'll tell you, this. yeah, but it doesn't take long. People find out, you know, within, within a month, I had guys ordering suppressors and wanting to get this. And I thought it was really cool until you start doing all the paperwork and it ties up a lot of your time. And it, it provided a, a venue to get my hands on a lot of different stuff that i probably wouldn't have any other way so is o'neill ops your firearms business name and guiding yeah it's okay. it's kind of a hybrid I, it's you know for operations obviously like we have mm -hmm. a guiding operation a hunting operation uh uh a farming ranching operation so it was kind of a, a mix of things and of course it sounds tactical right you know i mean a sure. lot of guys are <laughs> that tactical deal as soon as you start looking at guns and equipment it just is kind of a you know a double take guys look at it again and it's not really and i don't want to make that sound like i i tried to do that just to get followers because i've been doing it for my whole life i mean i could tell you stories that how i modded stuff and did this and that with equipment well before i even thought about it but um it's just something that we've always done so then at what point did you start, or I shouldn't say what point did you start, but why did you decide to start doing the video thing of your hunting? I mean, what, that was, what drove you to do that? It just, it, it just was something that we, that we just thought about doing one day. And I mean, I got a little Sony handy cam that wasn't an HD. It was just a standard definition, just four or $500 camera and did actually a lot of solo hunts and filmed. And I mean, those were that that's tough to do because you just, you really can't get the proper footage. You can't get professional with it unless you, you really have a designated cameraman if you want to do it really, really high quality, mm -hmm. but it's cool because it's, it's a whole nother difficulty factor having to do that yourself. And I've got a couple of solo doubles that I think I have on YouTube where I did solo. And the, the, I would say the hard part is, was kind of going through all of the tutorials and teaching yourself how to upgrade, learn camera settings and editing programs and stuff like that. I mean, the, the filming, it wasn't really to spotlight us. It was just something because uh i mean i can look at it now and say a lot of different things i like the train that we hunt it's it's a really wide open space and a lot of people don't have that visual capacity they, they can't see uh areas like this and for me to be able to capture that animal at a thousand plus yards away from point a all the way up into our lap 
that's just something that a lot of people never really experience. So I thought it'd be kind of cool just to provide that kind of source of uh, experience and cinematography, if you will. That's kind of my goal, just a different perspective. And, uh, you know, and then it just kind of grew into, into filming a lot of other stuff, not just hunts, but equipment reviews and now the YouTube channel and things like that. How many cameras are you guys usually bringing out there on set? I usually bring on set. Usually I just bring one. Okay. I bring my kill cameras, what I call it, my Canon. It's an XF705. And then in my truck, usually I have my, like I call it a B-roll camera, my Canon R5. Okay. So that if we do get some really, really good footage, it's not that I try to make stuff up. It's me trying to run back to the pickup grab the camera if we have enough light left and try to capture how we did our set, where we set up different angles of our setup, maybe us walking in. And of course there's some drama to it. You know, if we add a little bit of music or I all the music that I get, I like buy it 30, 40, 50, 80 bucks a pop, which is kind of like a, Oh, thanks dude. Is like, is kind of like, some guys don't really like it at all. And some guys do. And I've, I've kind of, I, I do a lot of different things now where we don't get that elaborate, but those are the two primary cameras that I bring. I bring that kill camera and then I bring the R5 and I've got a couple different lenses for my R5. So if I want to get some different uh, perspectives, some different kind of, uh, uh, you know, like a depth of field from a certain distance and I can kind of get what I'm thinking and primarily just to show guys, where we're set up, how we're set up and the, the cool terrain that we're blessed to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty. Out pretty there. Out. So when you guys are out there, how many guys do you have on set? Do you have a dedicated cameraman and then a couple of hunters or is, how, how does that work for you? Yep. Usually when, so usually I'm the, I like to film. Um, and then I usually have my cousin with, he's Keith. His name's Keith Risty. I'm sure you guys have seen him on YouTube. And then John O'Neill, he's my brother, a little brother. And I, I don't, I, to be honest, I get just as much of a rush behind the camera as I do behind a gun. I mean, my adrenaline gets cranked honestly, just as high when I'm watching them on the screen, probably even more so because you're, you're, you're trying to keep them. You're trying to run the call, trying to keep them on the screen. And trying to do multiple functions and uh it just it's a force multiplier regarding what your adrenaline's got going on so i i i really like doing that i i've thought about like hiring a cameraman honestly to increase the capacity of what we could do and i don't mean you know hiring a cameraman just to follow me around regarding sets because i don't care if i shoot coyotes but i mean hiring a cameraman for almost everyday life out here on the ranch and and shooting and, um, you know, reviews and, and basically freeing up a lot of my time in the editing room, because that that's where I get tied up real hard sitting how, on the computer doing that. How often does the camera, uh, allow a couple coyotes to get away? More than you want to know. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, what did, no, we kill everything that as soon as no, it's, uh, the, like today, the most of the time when we get them to commit, we have a really, and then I'm not bragging a really super high success rate because not just because of the guys that understand how it's going to go that are with me, but because of how we structure a set. Yep. And when you have a camera 
and you kind of have a game plan in your mind. And like I, I said it the other day on, on our last production, you know, we're staging a set. We're literally trying to, to get those animals to do what we want them to do. And that might be a real arrogant way to put it, but if you can do that, then you're going to get what we want to get. So I, that's kind of how I try to visualize a lot of our sets and most of our sets that we go to have been in areas that we've previously done it. So we know, we, I mean, you, you don't know, but you can assume, all right, if we have this kind of a wind, we already have this geographical feature, this terrain, this landscape right here. A lot of times the coyotes come from this area. So this is how we set up. It just, it makes sense. And I'm not saying, I mean, well, we're, we're very blessed and fortunate to have the, the access and the locations that we do regarding not only some of the land that we own, but neighbors and guys that give us access as an exclusive that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like I said, this year has been really super abnormal from the very beginning before we started even getting any of this snow, my brother and I went and made a set in a, in a spot. That's a really high success rate. We walked right over the hill right where we're going to sit down and a coyote runs out, just takes off running. So we pack all of our stuff. We don't even make a set. We turn around and leave. And then, like I said, last night we went out and made a set and there was cows, a whole herd of our neighbor's cattle and our cattle about a mile away to two miles away. And in my mind, and it goes to show you how much I know about coyotes in my mind, they would have been substantially closer to those, to those animals, to those cattle. And I'm, so we make a set, we park, and I'm like, there's not going to be any coyotes up this draw. We're just too far away from the cattle. With all this snow, they're going to be a lot closer. We get in there and there's coyotes right smack dab in front of us. <laughs> and, you know, so I don't know everything. That's just bad luck in my opinion. And then same thing tonight. We go in, we have a perfect spot that we've been waiting to call for since the snow hit and we've finally got access to it. And out of, out of, out of 2,000 acres that we're looking out in front of us, to the east out of 2000 acres those coyotes could have been anywhere but i i rip off a howl and within a minute they answer back and they're 300 yards away right in front of us like right off to the side in the worst spot that they could be for the way that the wind was and the bitch gets up circles we never see her again until she's caught our scent and she's gone and the male follows her just not a not a botched set on our part just bad luck yeah. I mean, we made it in there. We were quiet. We got set up. We kind of had the idea of how we wanted them to come in and they just weren't in the right spot. So there's, there's stuff like that, but regarding misses, man, I mean, it's kind of, there's not a lot of those, honestly, because we don't shoot at them a long ways away. Yep. It's not like if a coyote sitting out there at 400 or 500 or 600 yards, we're just blazing rounds at them. But most of the time, they're they're close man my goal is pupils on the camera so they're at least at, at, at 200 yards is a long shot for what i want to get on camera and if they're at 200 yards i mean with what we're doing how we set up either a tripod or prone that's like a, a, a easy shot even in windy conditions yeah you guys do a lot more prone hunting than i think anybody i've ever watched and if you think about it man it's not even how we are trying to be cool or different. It no, just you makes need to with exactly. That yeah. And the thing is, is if you look at the prone position compared to, I, I remember when I would, when I would self film, my position was seated and I'd have a Harris, uh, 
it was eight to or nine to 13 with a swivel. And it just, it was, it was doable, but man, you're, you're the surface area that you, the way that you prone out with your body, there's so much of your body of you touching the surface area of the earth. It's, it's just, it's just a no brainer regarding how much more steady you become yeah. Yeah. with your rifle, your, you know, the shooting position. And of course, if I was going solo, that would be my position of choice. 90%, 90% of the time, if the train allowed for it. Right. But now since I'm filming, that's a lot of the, you know, my guys decided to choose that. John does a lot of, uh, Keith goes prone. Like most of the time, John's getting into the, I don't want to say getting into it, but we've does, does a lot of tripod work because we got a trigger cam and it films through the scope. So if you can elevate yourself a little bit more and still maintain that, that stable footage, uh, he's doing a lot of tripod work with that. Okay. So when you first started, you know, after college, tell us a little bit about your gear setup back then. What were you using when you started hunting a lot back then? Yeah. Uh, that's where the initial, like when I was a kid and doing stuff, man, I was, I was all about, like, I had my own little I, my uncle was in Vietnam and I had a backpack that I used from him and tied shit to it and modified it and had, I was always ordering stuff from like sportsman's guide without my parents knowing like little, <laughs> little CO2 pistols and stuff. Yep. This was like when I was before junior high, just, just cool stuff like that. So it kind of just turned into a monster where when I was, when I could legally do what I wanted to do or got my FFL and kind of started doing some videos and was started talking to actual guys that were legit regarding gunsmithing. A lot of the gear that I wanted that I thought I needed to have was really tough to get like Eberly stock. Have you heard of those backpacks? Yep. That was a huge deal for me. I started working with Glenn as a media partner. Gosh, dang, probably 10 years ago, but as soon as I saw those, I bought that pack and I'm never looked back. It's just that, that without those, we wouldn't get half of the stuff that we do because of just how efficient it allows us to carry. And that's not a plug for them. It's just a piece of equipment. That's just been a necessity for us. And then, you know, back to the kind of equipment that I use when we first started getting out, man, I had a, uh, I remember my dad had a old VSSF two, those old, it wasn't a two. It was, I think it was just the old Remington VSSF. But it had the, I believe, a Bell, Bell and Carlson stock with the, you know, the heavy contour fluted stainless steel barrel. Really nice shooting when Remington made really high quality stuff. That was kind of my uh, desire in a way of what I wanted to get. So I actually bought just a factory Remington and took it to a gunsmith and had the barrel cut off down so it was a little bit more ergonomic a little bit easier to use pack in and out so that was really almost the first mod that i did and i don't i never cut the barrel down below sbr length it was 18 right. inches right well the factory barrels on those are what 26 yeah 24 yeah. 26 exactly yeah. i mean they're they're made for what guys wanted a, a high fast shooting high velocity system yeah and then the reason I did that was because I got my SOT and it just made sense with a suppressor. And um, the other big piece of equipment that I got at the time was a bino pack. Those, I don't know if you've seen, they're like, like a chest rig type deal. Mm -hmm. yep. That was way before anybody started getting into that game. Um, now you got, oh my goodness, I don't even know. I know Everly Stock makes a bino pack. 
uh, I, I don't even know. I, I'm thinking about six or seven off the top of my head, but I don't even know how to name them. But there was only one guy that really kind of pioneered that path. And I got a hold of him right out of college. And his name was Jared Owens. And he did Alaska Guide Creations and uh, worked with me on basically my own custom pack. And we made some design changes. And I, I still run a lot. I'm actually in the process of making my own right now. But those are some of the key uh, pieces of equipment. Overwhites, I was really infatuated with camouflage and overwhites, um, kind of ghillie hoods and ghillie suits and stuff. Also, a, a lot of different things like that. Footwear, you know, that the way that a lot of that stuff's came is amazing to see how much more comfortable this equipment's getting. It's just unreal. What caliber was that first rifle you were running? 250, 22, okay. 250. Yep. Um, yep. What, what were you doing for a call or calls back then? Strictly hand calls, man. I was doing a lot of hand calls and I, I was, uh, got a lot of older Randy Anderson calls, tally hoes. If you know what those were, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um, old Cersei's. I still got like both of those in my pack just in case. Uh, and I mean, I've got a bunch of, I, my dad had one of those old, I've got it up on my, on my, uh, cupboards up there, an old Johnny Stewart cassette call. One of those, that's gotta be 30, 40 years old, 40 years old or more. That an old prey master. Is that what that is? Yeah, I think so, dude. Exactly. Yep. And it's a pretty cool, I, I mean, I didn't ever use that. I remember him using it but it took into like an old motorcycle battery, crazy. Uh, just, just, you know, more of a pain in the ass and what it's worth to, to go push a button and have it instantaneously or, you know, wait for it to start playing its sound. But yeah, I started off with hand calls, a lot of okay. hand calls. And I, I'm not, I, I did watch Randy Anderson do stuff. You know, Randy Anderson did really good regarding how he presented vocals and how he used them. And we took a lot of notes that way. We, mm -hmm. we didn't come up with anything that's not, done by anybody else other than maybe equipment and certain tactics you know what would make an awesome video is you guys rolling out there with one of them guns behind you you know everything all looking nice and neat and awesome and then you roll out and unwind a 50 foot cord to a guy <laughs> yeah and yeah you a coyote off of it exactly yeah no kidding yes i would i would I need to do just some cool videos, but gosh, dang, man, it's hard enough the way it is, the way YouTube and those <laughs> social media platforms are just, it's, they're, they're not in favor of what we do. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Um, when did you start doing night hunting and how did you start doing night hunting? That that's a good one because, um, so my game warden is a phenomenal guy. I mean, I'm sure going to try to actually get him to do a, a podcast with us. He always gives me heads up on what's going on. Like, Hey, James, you know, I just want you to know it's legal to do this now. And he kind of gave me a heads up regarding it was legal to use night vision, which it, it was, but um, that's when thermal was kind of starting to get hot and starting to, I would say almost take over that it just was, you know, basically affordable in the way that they were presenting it as weapon sites for commercial use. Um, but what happened here in South Dakota is they didn't have thermal in the rules. So I would say legally, if I wanted to be a Guinea pig, I could have just went and done whatever I wanted, but I didn't go that route because I talked to my game warden and he's like, well, thermal's night vision. And 
it is, but it's not. I mean, right. you could argue that, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to hire an attorney or a lawyer to go up against what <laughs> right. the game fish and parks can. It's just not, I'm not even going to try it. Right. So what we did was we go, well, what's the best way to go about this? And we got some legislation passed, long story short. the the prime My primary concern was it was legal for us to use night vision equipment, but you could only use shotgun or rimfire. And in our, if you guys see our videos and, you know, the, the old wide open spaces, that's, I mean, it's not, it's not, not doable, but it's not optimal for what we're doing. And to me as a landowner, and when we go out and check cattle and I have to wake my ass up at two o'clock and roll out of bed, not wanting to go, when I go out there and I see two or three or four coyotes running through, you know, mama cows and baby calves, it's just, it's a sucky deal when it's a misdemeanor for me to shine a light out there and take my AR and kill them. That's just a punch of BS is what it is. Now, I don't want to go down the road of going, well, I should be able to do that, but the random dude shouldn't be able to. So we had to take the approach, you know, in a, uh, a way that wasn't going to upset people, really offend people, but still be passable. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that went into it, but we ended up getting it passed in which the first one was Senate bill 58. And I actually, it's really cool. Cause my, my, my Senator, I've got a, uh, he, I, I got it framed and it's the bill with the pen that the governor used to sign it. And he gave it to me. And I'm like, dude, that's so cool because cool. What, what I, what I would say is we, we get a lot of hate and we get a lot of guys that are jealous at what we do, but at the same time, they need to step back and understand that we actually helped them in a lot of footwork and blazing a trail for them. Like I've had Wyoming call me, I've had Oklahoma guys call me, or maybe it was Kansas. Tons of guys call me from different States that have said, Hey man, with what you did and how you did it, can you help us out? Can you just give me some insight? So I did, I don't remember the guy's names. I just did it voluntarily and told them, this is what you need to do. This is how you take the approach. And now they're legal to do it. But the primary reasoning for that was to, or the, I should say the primary objective was to get that caliber restriction basically increased. So instead of having a rim fire, I didn't care if they left it at a 22 diameter or 224 caliber diameter. I wanted to have the velocity increase so that we could have that hydrostatic shock on those coyotes. So 223, 2250, 220 Swift, 22 Creed, whatever you want to use that didn't exceed a 224, I was fine with. And we had a lot of guys going, well, why not a six? Why not a 6.5? Why not a set? I'm like, we're, we're looking at predators here. You know, I mean, if you think about it, if you can't kill a coyote with a, with a 2250, you, you, you're going to have other issues. <laughs> right. So that's what we got changed first. And we had a lot of pushback, man. We had the, the, I mean, we had some big guys against us and it was nobody really. I mean, I can't say I had a lot of help from a guy that I'm not even going to say his name because I said his name once and he didn't get upset at me, but he was like, dude, you know, not a conspiracy theorist, but like, am I going to have a target on my back now? And I'm like, gosh, dude, I'm sorry, man. I slipped up and said your name, but that passed. Awesome. That, that the primary concern was to get to help, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a huge force multiplier. You homer use that term a lot, but you don't have to stop when the sun goes down, especially when you're calving so much more efficient and effective and safer at night than shining a spotlight and trying to do it because you can see beyond the light beam. You can see 
with good equipment, you can differentiate. I don't want to say properly ID, but you can tell the difference between a cow and a calf and a coyote. So, I mean, obviously firearm safety rules first know what you're shooting at before you pull the trigger, but it helps us in our job description so much. And then we actually had, so what happened then was that opened the door for landowners Then I'll make it quick. So I don't want to take up, we, we opened the door for landowner or landowners primarily. So you were a landowner. And at the time, I think you could have two guests. So to me, I didn't care. I'm like, whatever I got, what I wanted, what I need, I can use thermal. I can help myself at night. But then we started getting a lot of guys from sportsmen that followed us and what we're doing. Like, well, dude, you know, they didn't say, they didn't even go and go, well, do you think that's right? That only you landowners can do that. They understood that it was a tool for, I mean, does everybody need to have a John Deere tractor? No. I mean, most people are going to not buy one just because it doesn't make sense. But for guys like me, it was a tool for what we did, what we needed to have done. But at the same time, I didn't want to not have other guys have fun opportunities. And I just sat back and I go, all right, is it going to be fun? Or is it, I should say, is it going to be a smart thing to do? Because it could potentially open up a can of worms with pretty much, you know, letting anybody and everybody do this, but it's a, it's, it turns into a, almost a personal right. You know, if, if you, if you're legal and you can go hunt and you have permission on a hunt on a ranchers, farmers, you own ground, you should be able to go to take that up and have fun and go do it. Right. So we went back and we passed um, house bill 1219, which basically allowed uh, sportsmen to go hunt with just verbal permission from ranchers. You didn't have to be a landowner. And so it goes. That's like the same exact road we had to go down here. Yeah. For, for the legalities, for the restriction on calibers and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Back here in Michigan for a long time, um, we were limited at night to just rim fire and shotgun. Um, we could use lights. We could use night vision. I don't think there's ever really a limitation on optics but you were limited to rimfire or shotgun during the daytime. You could use whatever the heck you wanted. Yeah. Um, then myself, and there's a whole group of other guys here. We went worked through the DNR and everything. It took us 14 months, but we finally got it passed to where we could use center fires at night. We still do have some restrictions like the lower half of the state. You can only use center fire and only up to 0.269 diameter projectiles. Yep. Um, but the lower half of the state, you can only use it on private land. And, um, but where I'm at in the top half of the state up in the upper peninsula, you can use it anywhere except for state parks and recreation areas. Um, so, I mean, that's made a huge difference and it was right around the same time DNR actually, we used to have a season for coyotes. It shut down. What was it? March 1st through no, it went April 15th through July 15th. It was right. Cold. Yep. Um, they made it. So it was year round season. And then right around that time is when we got it passed so we could use center fires at night here as well. So real similar to what you had going on out there. And the same yeah, thing, well, why can't I use my 300 wind mag? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Get something that you can kill it with. Let's legal and be happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for you guys. That's awesome to hear that. I mean, I think that it's going, obviously, a, you know, a couple guys can wreck it for everybody, but I, I, most guys aren't going out with the intent to do what a lot of guys are thinking that they're doing. You know, I mean, it's not, we did the statistics on poaching and, 
I mean, it's it, – and then I like I even said, I didn't care if they gave us a season or if they waited till you could use thermal till after deer season if they were afraid of that. That was an pr- approach we were willing to take if it was going to get pushed back, but it, it didn't. It went through. So there's – it's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's really – um gosh it's fun to do you know it's a fun fun awesome uh a guy can look at it like a hobby but for what we're doing i mean it's it's a a hell of a tool so it sounds like you guys completely skipped lights went straight to night vision and then thermal yeah they did well we can still use lights but you can only use a rimfire or a shotgun and i'll tell you what that's politics is what it is so right before we went into the senate ag committee um I mean, we had guys that were like, it ain't, you ain't, it is no way in hell you're going to pass this because first of all, for in our, in my position, what we needed to have from the people that were telling us what we needed to have was we had to have the South Dakota stock growers, the South Dakota cattlemen and the sheep growers all on board so that basically, you know, they were, they, they had pull, they had the funding that I, I don't, I mean, I understand it, but at the time I'm like, what, let's just go do what we need to do. And obviously it doesn't work that way. But when we went in right before we went in to, to pretty much testify in front of the committee and kind of present our case and why we think we needed to do it this way, uh, the, the guy that was the prime sponsor, his name was Jason Fryerichs. He, he was, he was a Democrat, which I'm like, he's a, he, he was more of conservative Democrat than I've known most Republicans. So at that time, I'm like, well, you know, look at that different now, but he, he goes, here's what we're going to do, James. Uh, I know that you want to have spotlighting in on this, but just to make certain people happy, we're going to pull the spotlighting out and just keep this pertaining to thermal and night vision. And I'm just sitting there scratching my head going, why do we want to pull the night or why do we want to pull the spotlighting out? Because that's really, I mean, when I go check cows, honestly, I, I do have a helmet sometimes with thermal and I scan, but uh, the other half of the time I'm shining with a surefire stream light out the window, checking cattle. And they just, it was politics. What it eventually boiled down to was, Hey, if you guys pull this out, we'll scratch your back. I'll scratch yours, but vice versa. And I'm like, whatever. I, I didn't, I'm the cow. if you think that's going to be more beneficial. So that's what they did. And it is still what it is. It's you can do varmints, you know, and predators with the light, but it's, you're, you're limited to rim fire and shotgun still. That's a new one. I don't think I've heard that anywhere else. If you're out there checking cattle with the light and you see a coyote, can you just put your light away, get your thermal out and shoot it? Oh yeah. Yep. I wouldn't do that. If I freaking had an AR in my vehicle or a 22250, I don't care who's listening. I'll shoot, I'll dust their ass. I mean, what are the, what are those guys? I mean, we're out there. That's this, our job, you know? It's like saying the security guard can't freaking shoot an active shooter with fucking a certain gun that he's got. I mean, it's the same thing in a way. I mean, it's not, but it is. Well, and I mean, you're protecting your own livestock and you should be able to do that however you need to do it. Exactly. I'm protecting those guys that are all sitting around the table in the committee that go to McDonald's and get a burger every damn hour. You know? I mean, that's where that's where their food's coming from. They better recognize how we do it. At least give us some, at least give us a little bit of leeway. Jeez. Right. So another thing too, um, it sounds like you've been able to use suppressors the whole time. Yep. We've been real fortunate in our state where we haven't had to pass any kind of regular or any kind of uh, legislation to be able to legally use suppressors, not just to own, but to hunt or shoot. Yep. So, you know, in Michigan for a long time, we couldn't even have suppressors. Yeah. I remember looking at that. 
Yep. Then yep. they legalized it so we could have them. Then we had a battle to get them to be legal to hunt with. And that was a pain in the butt. I mean, there's so many people out there. We were at a show one time and I ran into a couple of DNR officers and I had started a Facebook page, uh, Michigan Hunters for Suppressors, trying to get the ball rolling on that. Um, been in contact with like American Suppressors Association, stuff like that, trying to get it going. But I talked to these two DNR officers and I asked them, I'm like, what do you guys think about using suppressors? And there was an older DNR officer and there's a younger one. The younger one, or no, the older one right off the bat is, well, what do you need that for? Well, hearing protection, more effective when you're hunting. Oh, you can get good hearing protection, you know, earplugs and muffs and blah, blah, blah. Then the other guy's like, well, yeah, I've shot lots of coyotes without a suppressor, you know, and it's just like, I just turned around and walked away because I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with them. <laughs> but I want to say that was like a two to three year battle before we got them to where we could actually hunt with them here. Um, in your opinion, do you think suppressors make a big difference in the effectiveness when you're predator hunting? Oh yeah. Um, um, yeah, for sure. Like the way that I I've said this before, I say it on a, on a lot of forms because what you don't, a lot of people just don't understand. I mean, I would say well over 75% of guys that I hear or watch post on suppressors regarding them saying, oh, well, you know, the, the, I, sh I had a suppressor and I shot one, the other one just stood there and looked at me. I mean, the fact of the matter of that situation is this, that coyote was just stupid. The one that just stood there and looked at, it, at you. He's probably never seen a person. He's obviously never heard a gunshot before, but a lot, most of the time, I mean, you could call in a whole pack of coyotes and have a bow and arrow drawn back they don't see you. And as soon as you trip the trigger and that arrow flies, they're going to turn around and run the other way. 90 per 99% of the time that's going to happen. Um, the way that I look at a suppressor is it, it gives you the option, the availability to be able to make twice as many sets in the same area as you would without it. So like a prime example, and this is just trial and error. This is just footwork. This is just figuring it out and going, or not even trying to go figure it out, but just scratching your head and going, hmm, okay. The, the, you, do you know, do you guys know who Nick Munt is? He's a, he's one of the bone collector dudes, real tree guys, hunts okay. with them. Anyway, he's a South Dakota fella and he had an elk hunt out here years ago. And he put a, a really good terminology that, that I like to use uh, or, or a phrase, a catchphrase. It's like talking about scent blocker. And I apply the same principle to suppressors. And I'm like, dude, do you really use that stuff? Do you spray that shit? And he's like, well, yeah, no. He goes, it's, it's like a skunk. He goes, you're still going to smell it. You might not smell it as bad. And I think a suppressor is the same way. You know, if, if there's a skunk underneath your deck when you walk outside and it sprays, you're going to probably gag and run back in and go, dude, there's a skunk under my deck. Now, if there's a dead skunk a mile up the highway and you have a faint breeze blowing in that smell, you can smell it, but you're not directly affiliating or, you know, that that's not of, you're not going to affiliate that with any kind of danger or concern. It's just too far away. You can tell it's there, but no worries. Same thing with sound. If you have a suppressor, you're going to mask that initial, that initial muzzle blast to an extent that it might, uh, it just might quote unquote allow you to get by with making another set over that next ridge that coyote might hear that sound but he might go hmm you know that's a that's a, a a vehicle on the highway hitting the rumble strips three miles away versus 
somebody driving a vehicle right up to the draw, right? Where he's, where he's sleeping. Same thing. That's, that's how I look at the sound. You can make a set, you can kill a coyote or multiple coyotes and travel half the distance to your next set because that sound signature just doesn't carry as far. It can't carry as far because it masks the muzzle blast. You're not masking the sonic crack of the bullet, but you're still masking a lot of that sound. It's not an assassin where, Oh dude, that's why we're getting all of our doubles and triples, which it helps. It helps a lot. Um, but it's not like a lot of guys say, Oh, you know, you shoot one and then the other one just runs right up to you because he doesn't hear it. No, it's not like that. Right. That's how I like to kind of explain it. Uh, at one point, did you start producing your own suppressors? Cause I held one at FPS archery up in Cadillac last year that had your name on it. I do believe that vapor. Yep. Yeah, dude, that's cool. Um, about gosh, a decade ago, I kind of started thinking about, I've always been kind of ambitious and having my own gear, my own exclusive product. Just, it's fun and really neat to do. But um, we had Doug at SRT Arms make the O2 Vapor, which he took a stamp and stamped it. And then we revamped it and called it the, the, just the Vapor, the 224 Vapor. And we did some design work and a little bit of uh, added some overall length to make it a little bit quieter. And that's been around for probably five years, six years, probably six years, the vapor. Okay. And it's nothing. I mean, no, it's really special. That's why we kill all of our coyotes. You guys need to go buy those. <laughs> I just ordered three of them. Good. Yeah. If you order three of those, you call me and I'll get you a deal. But the, um, the, it's just cool. I mean, it's a designated suppressor to optimize on the higher velocity 224s. You know, it's designed for obviously sound suppression, but more importantly, in my eyes, precision. You know, I want that thing to perform. If you have an accurate, precise rifle, I don't want a suppressor to have adverse effects, which some suppressors do. But it's, it's Doug's been around for 25 years. He's been up there since AAC when AAC started. AWC, um, gosh, I can't, Gemtech was one of them, he said. So he's been there for quite a while and man, he hasn't changed a thing. You know, he, he doesn't mass produce. He's kind of a, he's a one man show and he, uh, kind of like a custom rifle manufacturer. He just is real meticulous building them. He doesn't mass produce them. Is that a direct thread or is that using? Yep. Just, just direct thread. I've got everything, man. I mean, Break attach, flash suppressor, quick detach, a lot of different methods, you know, makes models. But for precision in what we do, I'm just a single point, man. Direct thread, thread it on, leave it be. Especially if you're cutting your barrel down to a, you know, a decent length where it's 18 inches, your overall system is no longer too cumbersome to be carrying around. It's about like a 24 inch rifle. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it just makes sense. That's, that's how I look you're, you're eliminating a lot of problems. I don't want to say eliminating guys will get guys will get butt hurt with quick. I, I don't care. I've got a, a ton of different quick detach it that are really awesome, but there's just, everybody thinks that theirs is the best thing since sliced bread, just because they make a certain kind of quick detach method. And for an AR, sure. If you're going to swap them out, go to the range, have fun, this and that. But if you want precision, I, I just like direct thread personally well, simplifies. I've noticed that with mine, I picked up a dead air Sandman S with the QD mount on it. And I've found out two different times now I could not get it to seat in that QD because it's like something on the inside was rotated just enough that it wasn't matching the lugs. 
And I, I never knew that that was going to be a problem. Yeah. A lot of guys don't, they just, I don't, I mean, I've, I've got a B and T the first B and T Bruger and Tomei suppressor that I've ever owned here that attaches to an A2 flash suppressor or, and, and I mean, I've got one right up behind me, the, 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 that one right there, that's a Mark 11 motto. That's like a hundred in a civilian hands. That's like really limited. And the suppressor that's on it is a pin on. So like the gas block has two slots on each side that are machined in that pin, those pins just go pin right over it. And I could grab that rifle down and go like this. And you guys would hear that suppressor rattle. I mean, that can't, that just is not going to be good for precision now and nothing against it, but it's, like what the seals used in the military. I mean, if you guys, if those guys are laying hate at 400 or 500 yards, just doing mag dumps, trying to save their ear. Sure. Hell yeah, dude, that that'll work. But man, when we're trying to shoot a coyote in the forehead at 200 yards, I mean, we want to have a rifle that's quarter MOA. We're looking at groups like this, not freaking groups like this, just to right. hit somebody's arm or take somebody's torso out or their light blow leg off and take them out of the fight. We're looking for freaking headshots, eyeball shots like that. Yep. You know, bench rest accuracy out of a bolt action. So that's why we back to your quick detach. I mean, we've had a lot of I've had a shit ton of of quick detach deals where they just whether they they carbon seize or uh, the the mechanism freezes and like like cold climate freezes and then it, it loses its you know you can still unthread it but it doesn't lock and ratchet. I'm not gonna name names, but I we've had a lot of failures like that. Hmm. So I got a question for him. I've never asked this question to anybody else before, but I know you guys, you handload all your own ammo, don't you? Yep. That's just what Keith's doing over there, gassing me up some night rig rounds that we call them. Yep. <laughs> so do you have any special considerations or a process that you do for developing a load with a suppressed gun versus an unsuppressed gun? Um, no, I mean, there's been times where guys have had issues with uh, a rifle a really accurate rifle and then they buy a suppressor and it's no longer as accurate as what they thought. Yeah. Well, you're doing something to the harmonics there, obviously. Right. If so you can tweak the load, but there's no secret recipe. I mean, I, I a ton of guys ask me what my, what, what we use and I'll tell them because I mean, they're like, you know, how, how are you getting those coyotes just to basically hydrostatic shock lock up, tense up, tip over and dead it's, it's ultimately in the end shot placement, right? right? That's no matter what, but if you go back to that cartridge selection, it's hard to dispute a higher velocity round is going to just cause more, you know, central nervous, it's, right. it's, it, it's high, it liquefies tissue. Right. So if you have a 22 to 50, that's going mid three thousands versus a two twenty three that's going you know, lower or, you know, lower 3000s or upper 2000s, chances are you're going to get a little bit more leeway with that 22 to 50 doing mm -hmm. we, what we want them to do on video, which is sit down, lock up, tip over dead. But in the end, ultimately it's, it's shot placement. I mean, a 223 is good. John's using one a lot this year and he's had good results with it, but you have to be able to hit them where it's going to lock them up. Right. Do you have a preference on the actual projectiles that you use then? Do you I do. We've, we've worked with a lot of different companies. We've worked with uh, um, cutting edge bullets mm -hmm. in the past. They're an awesome company. Uh, they're monolithic. They're a machined mm -hmm. monolithic solid, uh, really good with fur. 
um, not very forgiving if you're a reloader. If you're a reloader, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to make each rifle do what you want it to do without doing something to the each load, like seating depth, neck tension. Uh, we, we, I'm trying to get a relationship with Hornady. We've been using Hornady 50. What I found is Hornady 50 grain VMAXs shoot just, they're like, uh, so on, so forgiving, you just see the bullet and you shoot and, and with our custom rifles, they just shoot. And a lot of guys, you know, are, there, there's a lot of guys that, that, that don't like them because they wreck the fur. But once again, I think that's a lot of shot placement. Like we've killed well over, well over a hundred coyotes this year. And we only had a couple of them that were really blown up. And this year doesn't matter anyway. The fur is not worth nothing, right. but we still, it's, it's ultimately shot placement, you know? So speaking of which, um, broadside shot on a coyote, where is your preferred shot placement? That's the, that's the hard part. Like, because my instincts is right behind the shoulder, you know, mm -hmm. like a deer vitals. That's just right. where you, that's where you want it. You want vitals, you want heart, you want double lungs. Cause they're going to expire. But on a coyote, right in the shoulder, man, right in, the right shoulder. in the, that's where, if you hit them in that shoulder plate, that just hits and it sends that, that, that initial shock throughout their whole nervous system. And they just tense up and they're dead. Ultimately what you want is like a quartering to you where you can squeeze it right between their neck and their shoulder mm -hmm. and it goes through and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't go all the way through, but that that's a, that's a done deal right there or headshots. But this year we were told not to do headshots because the, the furs weren't worth nothing. So we were getting a dollar 50 per skull. So I <laughs> was saying, dude, we're not going to give you nothing for those. If you keep shooting them in the head, who's so, buying skulls, the, the, our fur buyer, really? he was buying them for a dollar is what he's buying them for. So to me, I would rather bring a coyote home. That's not, not real mangy, not nasty, gross mangy, but I'd rather bring a coyote home. That's not that great. And at least get something for it than mm -hmm. just leave it lay. I'm right. weird like that. No, that, that makes sense. Are uh, you, are you most of the time reaching for a bolt gun or do you just have certain days where you're like, I think I'm going to take an AR today. That's why I was just I, bolt, bolt guns, bolt guns. I mean, we're, when I was doing a lot of that, like, uh, well, I can't even say it that way. I've always been an AR guy. I love ARs. I just, I've, I, I, I like them. And we're actually going through some goofy ass phase right now where I just built two guns, two ARs. And then now my 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 buddies are getting on the little fucking bandwagon. I sorry for cussing, getting on the bandwagon and starting to build stuff too. Now, like I'm doing a recce build, and then I just did a Mark 12 uh, mod one build. I've got a Mark 12 mod O right behind me, that tan one. Mm -hmm. Is I like doing it. I like shooting them. It's fun. But regarding predator hunting, I like bolt action because there's usually two guys. And if we're going at night, there's three of us and I don't have to worry about the camera because now I'm the cameraman with my thermal. So if we can't get done with three bolt guns, then what three of us could do with ARs, you know, we're hurting. I, I don't like just, I, I see, and, and it, this is just coming from me, a personal preference. When I, I see way so many videos, I don't want to say too many. I just try to eliminate myself from the picture, but you see so many hunts, thermals guys just freaking doing mag dumps on coyotes running and i'm like that's not me that's i don't if, if that's you i don't care i'm not going to complain i'm not going to comment on your stuff um at all but that's not what i'm about i mean i'm all about 
getting that coyote from point A to point B on my terms. And if he's not there, I will come back and make it happen. We'll come back and do it eventually. Or that's the the, the reason for bait piles. Or like tonight, what we're going to do is we've, we're getting ready to start calving. So we'll just kind of just call it getting mobile and we'll park our truck up on the road and just go mobile right down the road on our foot. And we got coyotes that come out of the hills, cross the road right into our calving lot. And we kind of pick and choose, see where they're going. As long as we have a quiet path, just get there and ambush and get some, or, or calling is really, you know, it, calling's easy at night, I would say, but uh, maybe not so much with snow, but that's just my preference. And then there's, it's not just because I like bolt guns, but there is uh, reliability reasons there. An AR, if something goes down, you know, you're at the mercy of having to take shit apart, fix it or clear the jam, or whatever. With a bolt gun, most of the time you can make it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the cold conditions that we hunt in, generally that bolt action just is going to perform better. And then a lot of, I mean, ARs can be very accurate, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not getting the accuracy out of any of the ARs that I run as I am with my bolt guns. And I run some good ARs, some expensive stuff. And there's guys that can shoot dots. I could too, if I put a higher power mag on it, but for ultimate sound suppression, also bolt guns, just undisputed. You don't have that action cycling back. You know, you have it cycling on a bolt gun, but it's at your discretion. It's closed until you make it happen. So there's just different things. It's not, uh, you know, I hate one platform or the other. It's just my personal preference for what we do. Do you guys have a, a magazine restriction at all, like a capacity limit? Not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we no, we're we're uh we don't yeah, all, all of our AI megs are for our bolt guns are only five rounds. But okay. for AR, I don't even know for ARs because we don't ever run them. I mean, you know, I've got a couple hundred round drums right behind me here that we could find <laughs> out real quick and see if I get Kyle on tonight and see who turns us in on the IG. I, I do have a question about that. See, seeing as how both of you guys have FFLs, Kevin and James here. If you guys got a wild game or wildlife, a hunting violation, would that affect your FFL? Not unless you, not unless it made you be like the, probably felony. a felony. Yeah, yeah exactly. A felony yep. Would, yep. Or a violent misdemeanor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Shot I, that I, I was just thinking, times. Exactly. <laughs> what I, I should have done was I should have went Instagram live and put my phone like that. And then we could have went, I could have went Instagram live while we're doing this and would have got traffic both ways. Dang it. Oh, well, we'll send it to you and everything. We'll get some traffic on this one. Yeah, I'll post a link on I'll post a link on my on my uh, Instagram for sure, man. Yeah. We appreciate it. So, next question for you is like tactics that you guys like to use. I think you're one of the first ones, if not the only ones I've ever heard use a kill box. So, tell us about a kill box. That's just kind of a meticulous setup, man. I mean, to be honest, it, I, I, I actually started that when I had, I just got rid of my Sony Handycam standard definition and I got a Sony um, high definition camera and it's, I, I just, it was a daytime deal is what I did. And I called it the nest at first. I don't know why the hell I label, I, I didn't do any videos on it, but I just made a little nice little spot comfortable to sit. And we had a dead cow there at the time. And I just sat there because coyotes were coming in before dark and I'm like, 
when thermal and stuff passed, I'm like, well, geez, you know, it's kind of a no brainer to set something up here. And we structured the bales that were in a box. We just called it a kill box. I have some guy that gets butthurt at me on Predator Masters that says <laughs> that I'm taking some military terminology or something, but that's it's just a term around Predator Masters. Yeah, what's that? That's common around Predator Masters. Yeah, you. If you guys aren't, I hopefully you guys are members there. That'd be awesome. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. You make sure and add me, and I'll add you guys back on. That's what. That's awesome to hear. But so that what, what the kill box is structured in kind of a. It's definitely unique because a lot of guys, I have guys every year send me pictures on Instagram or Facebook and say, Hey, you know, check out my kill box or they'll have success doing their setup. And really you can make anything be how you want it to be for your kill box. As long as you have some kind of a buffer, some kind of a buffer zone or barrier where it eliminates visual from where you're going to go to, you know, so you can walk in without being seen and helps a little bit with sound. Well, we've kind of had it in a, a force multiplier where we have a windmill that's right by the kill box. It's about 150 yards away. So optimally at night, ultimately we're going in, there's a little bit of a breeze and that windmill's ticking. It's making noise. So that masks our sound. And then we have usually two tiers of bales. So the, the bales that we use are 16, 12 to 1600 pound, anywhere from 65 to 70 inch round bales. So they're not quite six feet tall, but really close. And we'll have two at the bottom and one at the top. And we just shape it as a square and uh, the kill box. And then we climb up and sit and wait. And we have the, the, the dead pile, the carrion pile about closer to the better for visual, for thermal. Because, I mean, we actually have footage of coyotes where they're, they're so close to us. They're sniffing the ground and you can see that, that with that thermal heat up the ground. So that's kind of what we're after. And that's how we structured it. You know, we have a path. It's four or five miles from any dwelling. There's no houses. Nobody drives by there. It's on our ground. And we sneak in and get up. And usually most of the time we come, usually most of the time we're coming away with a double, at least doing a countdown and syncing up a double. So out there, do you, are you able to pattern them? At something like that no i've had guys that have told me that dude i set up a game camera and it's on a dime every night they're coming at this time and i'm like man you're crazy i mean <laughs> i i would i honestly i would love to i would love to have that be the truth but gosh dang man we're seeing so much erratic movement with coyotes it's just there, there'll be times where they're hitting that at nine o'clock in the in the evening or in the you know at night and then other times where there's no movement and all of a sudden, boom, they're there at two o'clock in the morning. Even one year we've said it on a podcast where when there was an east wind, which is the wind we don't want because we're walking with it, then there would be coyotes there from sunset till sunup. But if there was a northwest wind, the kind of wind that we wanted, there wouldn't be a coyote there till one or two o'clock in the morning. Now, I mean, is a guy giving them too much credit? it was crazy to me to think that they were they were that content with the wind that was out of the east where they knew we wouldn't be able to come in i don't know but regarding having them come in on on the certain time every night i haven't been able to pattern them over the past 5 6 years since we've had that thing structured to where it's it's i'm content saying there's a pattern there that's you know, been 
that's been my experience here too. I mean, we've had a couple of uh, spots where we've had bait piles out and I put a camera on it. And like you said, it's almost completely random. I mean, it might be, you know, two days in a row and then boom, nothing, or it might be, you know, a week before you see anything that might be night. That might be day. I mean, it just, it seems completely random. It's, it's just, it's the animal. And I, I'm not, I don't mean to, it's not derogatory or negative towards anybody. If I say they're crazy by thinking that you can pattern them, but I mean, an elk and a deer, right. They're going to come to a food source and generally they're on a trail. I mean, if you see an elk trail, we have them here and they'll almost, I mean, you, there's a high, I mean, there's, it's a hell of a lot better success rate than flipping a coin thinking that they're going to be on that trail. Mm -hmm. If you're going to hunt an elk, you can sit there. Now you're going to, you're going to change their pattern you know, you're going to make it a lot more erratic by, by pressuring them and killing one when they're on that trail. But man, coyotes, they come and go to a food source, but they might hit one completely different food source every other night, or they might come into the same food source, but they're not using the same trail that they're, they, that, you know, they, they might come from the East or they might come from the West, but that's gives you a lot of different options on where they're going to come from. Right. I mean, I mean, I saw Les Johnson do that one video. I should ask him about it when he was here, uh, where he killed those coyotes that in that blizzard. Did you guys see that? I did not. He, I don't know how many shotgun, but he was on a section line and it was, the snow was about as deep as it is here. And he was out sitting in that. And I don't know what the hell the deal was, but you could pattern those coyotes. They were coming from point A to point B in a straight line, all of them. And he was just sitting over a snow mound and just shooting them as they were going by. And they were going to a dead pile. Okay. But I mean, you have to apply that principle to everything if you're going to try to do some kind of a experiment. And they're just so erratic. I haven't seen anything like that. Any kind of, that, that you, like I said, any, any way that you can actually gauge them being that, you know, that patternable. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 that's, that could just be my opinion. The only thing I've ever seen patternable about coyotes is like you were kind of alluding to earlier when you're recording and you kind of know how it should play out. We yeah. talked about that a few times, you know, when you've, when you've spent enough time on certain pieces, you kind of get the feeling, okay, 99% of the time they come from there, they come up this draw and we shoot them right here. And that's just how it seems to work. But that's about the only time that I've ever seen any kind of a pattern to why they do anything. And yeah. it's running the same terrain features coming out of the same cover, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of that pattern is the way the wind's blowing because yeah. no matter what, man, they're going to do what their nose tells them to do. They're, it, nine, 99% of the time, you know, if I set up on one spot and it's supposed to be set up for a, a Northeast wind, but I can get by doing it. Cause I think I know where they're going to come from with the, with the Northwest wind then I set up and make a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll set my call differently to try to make them when they come in to kind of bend them a certain way, because you know, they're going to hit that call and work it some way. But yeah, that's, that, that's, that's right. At night. I mean, regarding I, night hunting is different. I mean, and I, I'm, we're getting off the subject of patterning them, but I mean, nighttime, I, I just see them make a lot more straight lines versus doing circles. Yeah. I, I, they do circle, but they're a lot more apt at night to just, not do what they do during the day you're 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 in their realm now you know mm -hmm. you're at, it's their time at night and you you can get by with a lot more but once you educate them at night you're brick you're done you know, you ain't gonna get that you're gonna have a hard time getting that coyote again we've yep. been talking about that a lot lately too yep. yeah yeah
with the with the increase in night hunting we've kind of been talking about if it's going to be beneficial to start doing a little bit more day calling oh yeah that's a, that i'll tell you what dude that's a huge awesome topic and i need to do like some talking points and do a podcast on that because it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen with all with this huge massive influx of night calling i mean it's almost like the the, the, when the nfa industry blew up and everybody started buying suppressors here six seven years ago and and, you know you can almost apply the same principle to electronic callers Uh, i always thought electronic callers were cheating until i started filming and and if i wasn't using one i was just cheating myself you know because you can't replicate the sounds that a a good electronic caller can produce you can make a different kind of sound but you know, that, that could still fool a coyote, but you still can't mimic the, the, the sounds of an electronic caller. And a lot of guys said that electronic calls ruined the, the, the predator hunting deal, you know, years ago, which I don't think so, because you're always going to have that new, you know, you're going to have that new crop or that new litter of pups every year that you're always going to be able to, you know, fool. Yep. Dumb on but, the horn every year. Exactly. No matter what, that's going to happen. You're going to get some awful dumb, just, they're just stupid. They're, they've never heard it. But the fact of the matter is, is, uh, night calling, man. Ooh, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be interesting. That's a good one because there's a lot of guys that are, we've done it. We've educated coyotes at night, but the thing is, is you got a kill box, you got a bait pile. You can fix that mess up. If you do it right, you you just got to wait it out. Eventually the stars will line up and you'll be able to kill that coyote. But the, the, the thing is, is there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of smart coyotes. And it's, I've already had two guys that I sold thermals to that have said, Hey, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I sold my thermal already because this, this is just to be honest, to be blunt, a shit show. These, mm-hmm. these coyotes, it's not there. There's so many people around here with thermal. It's just, I, it's undoable. I can't do it. Yep. So I, I personally think for how those coyotes have evolved over the past, you know, and on the edge of cities, being able to come in and adapt so efficiently, there's going to be something going on. It's going to make a, a, a more educated predator. And if you don't know what you're doing, which a lot of guys will just drive a truck out and call out of the truck and whatever, whatever floats your boat. But I, I mean, yeah. it's going to be, you're right. That's a, that's a really good talking point. It's definitely not proving to get any easier. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, and I'll tell you what, like even to go in even, even, even deeper. Um, I even structure my stuff where I'm, I, I shouldn't have been this year because the snow was just, just terrible. But no, like I, we don't do any kind of thermal work until we make our rounds with the camera, with the daytime stuff, because I, I put such a high value on on a good camera kill on a good day kill versus I'd say one good day kill for every 20 thermal kills. That's, that's the way I weigh the value 20 good thermal kills to one good 4k kill. So my goal is daytime footage. That's what I want to do first. And then once we get done making all of our rounds and we're content with it, usually that's December where we're, we're, we've hit all of our good spots. Then we go back and kind of cycle through with the thermal and you know, you, you, even though some of those coyotes that were sitting out there to half a mile away that might've watched you do your thing or a mile away or heard you do your thing. And you were still successful during the day. You can come back and pick those coyotes up at night. If you do something a little bit different, just hey, like work in the area from a different angle too, you know, kind of playing cleanup that, that point. It, it, exactly. And then the kill boxes are massive cleanup because 
in the dead winter, you know, in the dead of the winter, when it's the end of December, January, we're getting normally, we are getting some nights that are sub zero. Those coyotes are going in there to eat no matter what they're advantageous, you know, don't kid yourself. They're going in to, to stay alive. And if they have an easy meal and they can get some high calorie intake on something dead, they're going to do that every day of the week over trying to hunt for mice or rabbits and run shit down. So, you know, that's a massive cleanup strategy for us, kill boxes. And a lot of guys think it's just for fun or for, you know, putting out some kind of a, of a, of a kill compilation, but it's structured so much differently than what a lot of guys think, you know, it's, it's, there's for, a we've, we've literally set kill boxes up right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of guys's calving lots and killed 20, 20 some coyotes out of there just that way. Wow. problem coyotes that are living in there that are coming out of the hills and going and eating afterbirth and cause, I mean, they might not even be eating calves, but you, you're not going to tell the rancher that, you know, those coyotes aren't hurting nothing. If we didn't do it, he was going to call the state to fly in and kill right. 50 of them. Right. Now, on that real quick, just, just being that you hunt over bait way more often than we do. Is there any weather conditions that you've noticed is either a, we're going to go out there and kill a ton of them tonight. Cause they're going to be feeding or B, not even going to waste my time because we don't see them on these kind of nights. You know, there is, there's something to that. And I was just talking about, we were just talking about that the other day, writing like a journal, man. I had a guy here that had an elk license about six, seven, eight years ago. And he documented every single day of his hunt in his journal every day for everything he did, bighorn, mountain goat, elk, deer, everything that he did. He had a documentation of the wind and this guy was a farmer. So he did that. He wasn't out of the ordinary. He was a sprayer. So he had to do that to, for, you know, all of his neighbors, if he was spraying beans next to corn or corn next to beans, he was documenting the wind, the moon, everything. And there's something to it. I mean, it's, it's, we went out the other night and there'll, there'll be nights and, and Chris, if you guys ever talked to Chris from Chris Robinson from night crew, ever hear that dude? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he also, he said the same thing to us. He's like, dude, you go out on a night and you start seeing animal movement. You make a long night out of that because there's, there's shit moving that night. You're going to have success. It's same thing here. There's certain nights where stuff just moves. And then there's certain nights where it just doesn't move till way later too yeah. too much later than we're willing to give it time to take place. But regarding like the, if you're talking about the, the bait piles, I mean, the colder, the better. Okay. Because okay. they're, I mean, if as long as those carcasses don't freeze up like ice cubes, um, you're the colder, the better. Okay. It's, so that's, do you see those, that, that extreme cold is putting them more on a feeding? Like we got to yeah. eat now. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. They just on them. I, I like, even this year we had that cold snap where it was like five days with wind that was blowing 40, 50 miles an hour and our ambient temps were 28 below. So that put our wind chills at over 60. I was like out the deck here watching coyotes right down in our trees here. I mean, I don't, not a lot, but I saw a pair of coyotes almost every day just coming in and out where normally, normally they wouldn't be doing that. You know, they were, they were committing themselves to, to, you know, do a little bit of extra, get a little bit closer to the place to get an easier source of food somehow. Sure, they got, they're, they're cold. They need more calories. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's hundred percent how it works. Yep. They need, they, if, and if they can find an easier route to do it, to survive, they're all about it. They know. Right. How much of your hunting would you say like percentage wise is calling versus, you know, the baiting or the kill box? This year it's been a significantly higher ratio for daytime calling versus the versus nighttime. Now, it, it, so you're, are you saying like daytime calling versus nighttime, uh, 
nighttime calling or just daytime versus like ambush at night where we cut over a bait pile? Day or night, just calling versus, you know, uh, what you'd call like hunting from a blind or a, a kill box or whatever. So calling versus another method, um, day or night. Usually we, I focus really hard on, on, on daytime footage, but it's hard to put a percentage down because on a good year when I mean, I mean, a, I should say a, a year that, that isn't that we can actually access all of our places. It's, it's almost like a 50, 50, once you get down to it, where we're doing, but the thing is, is the way you would look at it is the work that's put in is greatly outweighed during the day than what we do at night. Night's easy. I mean, you throw a gun in and your pack and you, you, I mean, if it's a good, not a loud year where the, you have to worry about the snow, you walk right in there and you just camp and sit there and wait and smoke them. Um, daytime, man, we're covering miles, you know, we're getting into spots. You're using physical exertion. I'm carrying a freaking camera a backpack. That's got probably 40 pounds of shit in it. And it's, it's work, you know, it's just, it's, it, it, so if, if you, if you put it into that perspective, there's a lot more energy that we exert during the daytime than we do at night, but nighttime's where it's at. I mean, nighttime's where you can, you, that's nighttime's where we stack bodies. That's where we fill up our freaking coyote poles nighttime. What's your best night of hunting? How many did you kill? We haven't shot a lot, man. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that do, that just kill the hell out of them. I, I, I have to say it like this. This is more along the, the lines of, of, of my job description. So I'm a lot more meticulous about it where a lot of guys do it as a hobby. And if you look at something that's a, okay, look at it like this. So I, I do guided deer and elk. Um, I'm, I'm around it all the time. I see deer all the time. I see elk all the time. It, I don't get freaked out and, oh dude, I got to shoot this. I got, now you have some dude that's applying for a deer or elk or say, say elk for a once in a lifetime hunt for 20 years, that guy is going to freaking do anything that he can do to get that mm -hmm. elk killed. Yeah. Dude, I'm around that all the time. It's the same thing with coyotes. If you get those guys that they, they work a day job all week and then it's their weekend to go and they're doing a contest, they're going to freaking drink however many bangs or five hours they can drink and go for 48 <laughs> hours and try to kill. Um, I, I'm a lot more meticulous than that. I, I I'm, I'm all about quality versus quantity the, the the quantity is a byproduct of our work we're going to kill a lot of coyotes but i'm not about there to go you know but but i mean i i'd say on, on we, we've killed 15 you know it, and and that's that's nothing i mean if we really really wanted to we could it's who knows i'm not even going to say a number i mean it's not going to be crazy Cause we'll get called out, but it's a different mindset that I have compared to a lot of guys. I Just, it. it's a different deal. No, sure. I, I can appreciate that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. yep. Um, now I've seen, and you did a couple of videos on YouTube where you guys did use dogs hunting, correct? Yep. Are there any other tactics that you guys use? Um, you know, one thing you hear a lot of guys talk about now is a question of using decoys or not. If you guys use decoys, you'd like using decoys. Um, like you, when you say decoys, like, like not, not a, a live decoy, just like a decoy coyote. Correct. Yeah. I, I got into that deal a long time ago, carried like the edge edge by expedite. I had a little, all sorts of stuff, man. And, um, it, 
it, it, it worked 50% of the time. I mean, I know Randy carries that mounted coyote along and, and he's had some good success with that, but with, with the ground that we cover, I'm not going to carry that along. Right. That's the you thing know? is, you know, it's more stuff to carry around. Yeah. If you, if you're, I mean, I'm not saying that it it's not going to help because I'm sure in a lot of instances it does, but I don't even get into that. I, I just, and the reason that like the last video that we did, or the last dog video, I went up with Cal Taylor in Wyoming. He's been trying to get me out there to film some hunts for a few years regarding his dog work. And I, we, I just went out there for one day and got some really good footage this year. I'm going to go out there for a lot longer, but, um, that's a pretty cool thing to see in all honesty. It's not my cup of tea. I, it's nothing that I want to get into just because I don't like doing, I don't like doing that. I don't, I, I just, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, I, I, I just don't, and in, in, it's cool. It's fun. It's awesome footage, really cool video footage. And it breaks up the monotony of just traditional calling or doing the night deal, mm -hmm. but it's just something that I, I'm not going to go out of my way to go buy some dogs so that I can decoy dog. Sure. Just, what, what about a decoy on your collar? Do you use that? Oh yeah. Much? Oh yeah. Yep. I do. I've got a, a um, I, I, I do this year. We didn't yet but we're, we're going to kind of work a little bit more with Fox pro and I use the X wave and I've got a, a decoy on that. And that thing, I mean, I don't overuse it, but like, if I, if, if you can read a coyote or you can see the distance that I put that call away from my set, you can see if that coyote's looking at the call or if he's looking at you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, you hit that little decoy and it doesn't trigger them to come in but it makes them look at it, you know, like, okay, there's something there. That's where I'm hearing the sound come from. It's from that spot. It's not from those guys. And it lets us get away with a lot more regarding the, with the camera. Okay. That makes sense. I've, I've had the same experience here at times. Um, you know, I, I got a video. As a matter of fact, I just posted it here. What was that Josh last week the one in the cornfield yeah. coyote comes right up and he's looking right at it. That time I had the Fox pro fusion with a mojo decoy. Yep. And I had the mojo right next to the fusion and he comes up and that's exactly what he's looking at. And, yep. you know, that yep. was, it was cool to see that. And that's what I tell people, especially hunting cats. Do you guys have cats out there? Yeah. Not, not, not as many as, as, as South, right. but yeah, we have some bobcats around. And cats are so visual and it's just something to keep their attention over there on that as they make their approach. And that's one of the reasons I like using a decoy. Yep. Just in case you got that cat in the area. Yep. Right. What else do you guys have out there? Do you guys have Fox? We've shot a couple Fox. You have to go about 15 miles from here to kind of get to where you have a decent chance. We don't really key on Fox. We've shot a few of them, not on video, but, um, we have Bobcat. We have mountain lion every once in a while. Really? Like I'll get a landowner. We'll, we'll almost all of us will get a, a mountain lion tag just because it's a safety net you know it's 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 for us it's only like 25 bucks as a landowner and it goes all year round so if, if we don't necessarily go out and pursue a lion but if if we have a neighbor that has one on game camera or we see a track then you know we'll we'll try it now do you call for them yeah i i've killed one here oh gosh four years ago now and but it was luck it wasn't it was just, we were actually looking for, I did a ranch. Uh, we have our own ranch, but then I was hired by my godfather to manage his ranch. Cause he doesn't live here. And he leases his ground out to a guy that has about 600 head of cattle, about 600 pair. And we were just looking for a couple that were missing. 
he loaded the guy loaded all of his cattle up and there was a dozen that he was short. So I went up and just drove around with him and it was just a random coincidental deal that we looked down this draw. You know, that's usually how it is unless you're treating them with dogs or something, but there sure is not sure enough right down the draw, you know, there was this mountain lion sitting there and we, we, he, he had no idea that we were there. I mean, and a cat's a little bit different than a coyote there. I think, I think, I, I think they're stupider. They're just, you know, they're, they're a little more meticulous. You don't see them come in, but you can get away a lot more like a cat. If you do some kind of a movement, a lot of times they'll just sit there and hunker down mm-hmm. where a coyote, it's not going to do that. He's going to freaking be gone if you don't kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think too, I haven't, I can't, I don't have an ear tagged or anything, but I haven't, I can't prove it, but I, I'm sure that I've called the cat in twice, you know, just something that a coyote more than likely wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't do. But, uh, th- th- that cat went down in the draw. We got out made a circle and squalled a rabbit a little bit with the Fox pro and he popped right out. You know, it was just, like I said, we weren't trying, we, we weren't trying to hunt him until we saw him. Right. That's pretty cool. That's I, I've always wondered about that. I mean, we don't, the DNR actually acknowledge that we do have some cougars in Michigan, but they believe there's no breeding pairs. Yeah. And we have landowners, I think Josh probably does too, that said, oh yeah, we've seen a cougar out there. Well, I have yet to see one. I would yeah. love to see one before it sees me. I see all the pictures of, that look like they were taken with a potato <laughs> at about 250 <laughs> yards. Like right. that's a cougar. Yeah. Like. yeah. <laughs> Hard to tell. Right. Yep. Yeah. Everybody, we got stories, guys like, oh, it's a saw mountain lion. I saw a wolf and man, it's, it's so hard to believe that until you see it actually dead right. or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say from when you first started to now are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the industry? Aside from thermal, because we know that's a big one. It is a big one. I would say that I think that the, the industry is just, I think it's picked up. There's been a lot more people getting into it. Um, there's from, from like the beginning of, of hunting, I think it was like a, uh, the old school guys, you know, kind of, you had the max point blank rifles. You had the old 220 Swifts. You had the guys that had the 22 250s and they had their old Leupold uh, and they had it cranked as hot as it would go. And they had a max point blank range of 200, 300 yards where you just hold on for, which is the, the way, I mean, that's how you do it. If you want to do it fast So some of the equipment that we've got now, you know, the advancement in optics, just from a second focal plane to now you have the option of a first focal plane and almost every piece of glass that you can buy the, 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 the equipment, the, the, the suppressors, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a custom rifle was the pinnacle of, of everybody, what, what they wanted to have for a rifle. Now, almost everybody has one. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the equipment, the, the gear, the, how, how much more money people are willing to spend on stuff. It's just changing compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things like that, 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 that go into it. Like, yeah. I mean, you have the, the calls, the, the advancements, what you can do, you know, if you look at it from the technology side of things, but it's just, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that I've seen that have changed that um, aren't for the worst, you know, not yet anyway, not till we really know. Sure. Speaking of technology, going back to a little bit before, do you still use hand calls and e-calls? I, I do. 
I say that I do more than I actually do, to be honest. <laughs> but um, I have some good. I have like um, I have I have this guy right here. This uh, this is a, a wicked little hand call that a fella on on Predator Masters made for me. And you know, there's 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 a I've got a couple howlers. It's the the thing is is with calling with it when you're filming, it's so much it's so much more beneficial to be able to get that electronic call out away from you mm -hmm. than than and then even giving them the the benefit of the doubt of keying in on your location and being able to just maybe pick you apart from the landscape. Sure. So there there's a point in time for it, but most of the time I'm using an electronic call. But it, you know, at night, I, I, at night, a lot of times we use hand calls, you know, just to coax them in a little bit, something different than they haven't heard. And you seems you obviously get away with a lot more. We want them to come right up to us. And that's where I said, you know, you kind of see more straight lines. So we do a lot of, a lot of more, less, less electronic calls at night. Okay. Have you noticed a big increase in hunting pressure in your area? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's, I think it's probably going to happen. I've had guys that will always see vehicles drive by out here where I am in, like, I I'm real fortunate to have a, <clears throat> excuse me. We have all of our neighbors pretty much give us an exclusive. So what that allows us to do is we, we have a, a pretty much a verbal agreement with them that if you give us the exclusive to predator hunt your ranch, it borders ours pretty much. Then we'll make a point that if, if you have a problem you know, we're at your back and call. Well, if you, if you have a problem with coyotes during calving, we will be over there. That's, that's the agreement that we make with you. And those guys respect that because they know what we do. You know, I mean, they know that we're not just out there to just try to solidify some piece of ground that we can have a weekend experience. We're there to do a job for them and they appreciate that. That's how I look at it. So, um, with that said, we do see, I mean, obviously there's an increase of pressure and I, I mean, and, and I, nobody else to blame, but myself, when you, when you put videos out and you start getting subscribers and my goal is obviously to, I would like to say it this way, inform people more than entertain them. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately that's not how it goes. It's, it's more of an entertainment factor that a lot of guys are seeing you're going to have that increase of, of guys that want to try it. They're like, dude, I see that. You see that kind of equipment and we, we got to get that. We got to do it. That, that, I mean, if we can increase people and expose them to a positive experience with what we do, that's what my goal is. But it's like, just don't step on my toes, you know, just respect what we do. Don't Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Don't infringe on our, on our, I, I, and the thing is it really sucks is to be honest, I, I'm, I always say this, dude, I'm not a social person. Like I'm, I'm like what I would call an introvert on camera. I'll be good. I'll talk to the camera, but when I get around people, I just, I don't like it. Just, just my, that's just how I am. Um, but you, you get to certain things where certain where like, like the, the YouTube platform, the Instagram platform, the Facebook, platform, I can't be a dick. You know, I don't want to portray myself. I don't want people to go, Oh, James O'Neill. He's, he's that dick that doesn't want any, you know, he bitched us out because we're out there, blah, blah, blah. So I have to kind of tread lightly, but at the same time, any good, normal human being is going to understand, Hey dude, we shouldn't be doing this in there. You know, those guys are there. Just let them be. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how it is. I think.
right? I agree. Yep, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've taken up a lot of your evening, James. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, any big plans for this coming year? Oh, yeah. Um, I've always got, I always try to have big plans, man. I always try to set goals. I want to try to, I mean, we're working with new companies. I don't know what you, you, do you have, do you have YouTube also? You said yes. you have, a, yes, what's yours? What's your, what is it? Overdrive, Overdrive outdoors. outdoors. Okay. Gosh, I'll look that up as soon as we get off. I, I, I'm sure I've seen your guys' stuff, but like I'll, I'll, I always try to set goals every year, but man, it's so hard because you got, I got six kids and then the ranch and we're getting ready to start calving 600 head. And then it, before we're done calving, we're starting to brand. And before we start branding, I'm getting my seed corn and fertilizer and corn planter out. Then before I get that done, we're getting the irrigations and stuff ready to go. And <laughs> then on, you know, I mean, on top of that, we got so much snow, we're going to have probably well over a hundred miles of fence to go around, easily, easily to go around and fix. It's going to be just, a, a, just, it's crazy. And then on top of that, you know, I like filming, I like editing, I like doing the podcast, I like providing content for guys. It's just, it's, it's fun. There's only so much time in the day, but I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I need to hire a cameraman. I've had so many guys that have been interested lately on the farm and ranch side of things that want to see just the day-to-day -day operation, what, what we experience here, because it's so awesome, man. I mean, we're, we're so blessed to, I'm so blessed to be able to raise a family here out in the middle of nowhere where we all my kids have dirt bikes i mean they can drive they can ride them things for as far as they want without having to worry about you know a highway they can go out and play it's it's just an awesome experience to be able to be out here and i would love to be able to source that and provide some venue for people to be able to experience that some way visually maybe not physically but they can see what we're all about out here i mean we have it, everything changes all the time. It's not like, Hey dude, I have to go to the office and sit here every single day, which I do cause I'm editing or checking stuff. But you know, one time of the year we're riding our dirt bikes, checking tanks, checking cattle. The next time of the year we're gearing up to go hunting. We got deer season coming. We got elk season. We got to deal with 50 hunters. We're skinning cow, cow elk, quartering and cow elk for two, three months out of the year. Then we're going to predator hunting and then we're going to snowmobiles. It's, it's just such a fun thing to do, but you know, the, the, the goals are so hard because there's just life happening. Exactly. It's overwhelming, but you, you have to do it because yeah. you, I look back every, every day I get on, on YouTube and I watch like some guys that have millions of subscribers, not so I can see what they're doing, but well, see what they're doing, but not so that I can try to replicate what they're doing, but because it's entertaining. And I'm like, why am I wasting my time when I should be providing people content, you know, when I should be doing something extra. So I think what I'm going to do this year is I've got like a bino pack that I'm going to try to develop. We've got a bunch of promo codes that we're working with companies like Eberly Stock, Coltac, just working with more companies, trying to solidify uh, more of a, of a partnership in what we do so that they understand that, um, Hey, we're predator hunters, man. This is, you're, you're bigger than you think. A lot of guys are all about that once in a lifetime, one week doll sheep or big horn, $50,000 sheep hunt. But man, over the, over, I've seen guys drop that much money on thermal right now. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a big industry. And I, I just want to kind of 
try to present what we do in the lifestyle to more people that don't understand it. You know, people, and I have a really good way to do that because being a rancher, it's once again, the term force multiplier, I'm not just going out there to do it for fun. I mean, I can, I do, but at the same time, I can literally break the ice to those people that don't understand and go, Hey, 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 hold your horses. You know, you just went to that restaurant and had a steak the other night. Where do you think that came from? That came from guys like us that protected that animal that you ate for your food because of what we do. So mm -hmm. sit back and understand before you just throw in shit at the wall to see if it'll stick. Before yeah, you start you. just, that's what, that's what we need to start doing. Yep. <laughs> I have yep. one final question for you. Yep. If it wasn't for the ranching side, would you still be a coyote hunter? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, well, it's hard to say, but I would, I, I just love guns too. Either that or else I'd be doing a lot of gun stuff, a lot of gun work okay. one way or the other, something to do with firearms. I, yeah. I, 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 there's nothing like it. I mean, I I've shot elk with my bow and I haven't got, I didn't get a 10th of the adrenaline rushes. I do just filming a coyote come in. Everybody has a different mindset. Everybody likes their own thing. And I mean, there's no bag limit on coyotes. You can keep doing it. They're, they're, they keep reproducing. There's an abundance of them. There's no limits. It's, it's just, it's an awesome sport. And, you know, like I said, if we can, if we can try to make that more apparent to people in the right way, we need to start trying to do that. Agreed. Completely. Yep. yep. So if someone wants to look you guys up, uh, what platforms and where do they look you up at? Yeah, yep. you don't know by now. <laughs> no, that, that, that would, I wish, man. I wish that was the case. That's awesome. I like I said that it's humbling and 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 really, I really respect that that you guys have have seen and watch and find our stuff entertaining. That's uh, really enjoyable for me to hear. Well, Refreshing. You, you, you portray the beauty of your state and what you do through your video work. Absolutely. That's 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 awesome. That's what I like to try to do. It's, that's cool. That's one, of the, that's one of the things that really drew me to your stuff to begin with was the, the you know, the train, the, the quality of the video, how you present it, the whole package on it. Just I, I've even since, you know, I first started watching it to now, I still go back and watch them. Because that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. That's really awesome to hear. And then to engage with you guys, that's even more important to me. But like, as long as, as long as our videos don't uh, make people want to move here. I'm fine with that. You know, you guys <laughs> right. Especially the liberals. <laughs> exactly. Which is happening, man. I mean, yeah, we get into the politics. I hundred, I'm on, I, if you guys, if you shoot coyotes, you know what, what political oh, yeah. arena you're in, you know mm -hmm. how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah. I, if you guys have any other questions, so yeah, I mean, YouTube, everything's O'Neill Ops. You can go to YouTube, just search O'Neill Ops, Facebook's O'Neill Ops, Instagram's O'Neill Ops. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, any uh, you guys keep in touch. Any other questions? If you want to do another podcast, any other any anything like that, just let me know. Well, and I did just so you know, I did go Facebook Live for a minute after you yeah. mentioned it and tagged yeah. it. So good, it's there yeah. now. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I I really enjoy doing stuff like this. It's 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 like in the beginning, it's you're we're, like I said, we're nothing special, but you get to a point where. Um, guys enjoy seeing what you do. And then you kind of, you know, you have kids want to buy your t-shirt and they're like, dude, you do this and you're this guy. And it's, it's really, like I said, it's, it's kind of hard for me to understand, but it's cool. And I just want to make sure and do it right. I want to make sure and, and be the right 
personality and, and present what we do the right way, which is like I said, why we do a lot of the work you know, we try to make a good clean kill shot. We try to present the, the videos with precision and and make it professional as we can so that it just gives minimal traction for the other side, which I'm not I'm not worried about them. But you know, if you want to make a good impression, you have to try to present it that way. Yep. I agree. Completely. Well thank you very much, James. We'll let you get out and get out hunting for the evening. Yep. It's so what is it now there? It's uh it's it is. It's seven fifty, almost eight o'clock here. Yep. So it's almost ready. ten. Is it almost ten your time? Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. Almost ten o'clock here. Bedtime. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Heading yeah. out we're, tonight, though, right? We're just getting ready to start. We got the RS seventy five, those new HD thermals from IRA that we're gonna light up here pretty soon. Nice. Well, good yep. luck tonight. Good luck to you. Yep. Nope. Awesome. Thanks. This was a fun one, man. This was probably one of the most fun podcasts that I've had with you guys. So I appreciate it. Well, Thank if you're you. willing, sometime we'd love to have you back. Absolutely. Yep, anytime. You just let me know. You got my number. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate right. it very much. Thank you, sir. Yep. And everyone out there listening, please check us out, like and subscribe, and see you next week on the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Thank you, James. Yep, thank you, guys. <laughs>